Before we get started, After the Monuments is proud to receive support from VCU Massey Cancer Center. Massey Cancer Center wants you to imagine a future without cancer. All it takes is one, a revolutionary idea, a promising clinical trial, or a new breakthrough. See how Massey is developing new approaches to prevent and treat cancer for every person in every community. Learn more about this future for everyone at MasseyCancerCenter.org. I'm Kelly Lemon. And I'm Michael Paul Williams. And welcome to the After the Monuments podcast, where we look at events and news about race in a historical context and see how, too often, history repeats itself. Welcome to another episode of After the Monuments, a real talk about race with Kelly Lemon and Michael Paul Williams. We are going to talk today, Michael Paul, just about some of the things that you've been writing about, some of the things that's going on around the world, and how it's still relating to racism and race in general um, within um, American culture, but just, again, it's all interwoven up. Moving to our neighbor, um, you know, one thing about Central Virginia, everybody thinks that Richmond encompasses everything. But no, Chesterfield, Hanover, Henrico are our immediate neighbors. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes when, when things happen over there, it affects the city. And right now, the uh, NAACP has gotten involved with um, something that Chesterfield County is trying to do. Tell us about it, Michael. Well, recently there was a dump, a leak um, of the list of members of the Oath Keepers. Um, now break that down too. Oath Keepers. The, the Oath Keepers are a, um, an anti-government militia. They um, kind of made their name or started to become a name. Um, if you recall, um, we're talking a few years ago when there was this standoff at this ranch, the Bundy Ranch, mm-hmm. out in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, involving grazing rights and, and all sorts of stuff that, you know, we folks on the congested East, East Coast don't think a whole lot about. But, yeah. but a lot of land out west uh, in the larger, more expansive, um, less densely populated states out west um, are federally owned. And it creates a lot of tension. And so there was this beef over grazing rights involving um, this, this Bundy. And it became this armed standoff. And the Oath Keepers uh, were out there um, facing off um, against the federal government in this long-running dispute. So a little later, they emerged um, after Michael Brown uh, was killed by a police officer, unarmed teenager Michael Brown, in Ferguson, Missouri. And on the one-year anniversary of his slaying, um, there was some um, street unrest out there, and the Oath Keepers showed up. And, you know, armed to the teeth, big guns, walking around, and there was already a very, very heavy police presence. And um, uh, the the chief of the St. Louis County um, Police Force did not appreciate the Oath Keepers' provocative presence there, saying they were... Um, their presence was unnecessary and inflammatory. Um, but this is who they are. And fast forward um, to the insurrection. And we've seen visuals of people who are purported to be earth keepers, or oath keepers 
um, heading up the steps of the Capitol. And we've seen testimony from members uh, about that day. Um, the, the founder of the Oath Keepers um, is facing charges, um, sedition charges um, related to the insurrection, the January 6, 2021 storming of the U.S. Capitol to overturn a presidential election in favor of the loser, Donald Trump. Um, so we have this dump, this fairly recent dump of information, this leak, this list um, of Oath Keepers who not only are in law enforcement, but um, hold political office. Um, and one of the, um, apparently, this is how the Chesterfield Sheriff found out that one of his deputies uh, was on that list wow. as an Oath Keeper. And um, he is, his position is, um, he's taken a First Amendment position. I believe in the First Amendment and, and this person's constitutional rights, and I'm not going to remove them based on that. So he's making this a First Amendment issue. Now, um, I don't understand this on a number of fronts. Um, his department policy um, says they can't have, you know, you can't be on their staff if you're anti-government, mm -hmm. if you're involved in anti-government um, action. And that's the Oath Keepers, that's what, who they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that's the heart of it. Um, and he, um, and there's also a precedent there um, involving other law enforcement agencies in the Richmond area. Um, we had a Chesterfield police officer, um, a, a school resource officer, who was separated from his job um, a few years back um, after he was um, linked to a um, white supremacist organization. And um, as I'm recalling, kind of outed by um, Antifa. And around the same time, we had a, um, a um, officer for the Capitol Police, the Virginia Capitol Police, um, who lost his job um, after, you know, similar type thing. There were some tattoos that were, like, viewed as um, white supremacist tattoos and, and some other things. And it... it they they lost their jobs. Mm -hmm. no one. Their their relative chiefs at the time weren't saying, "Well, they have the First Amendment right." No, it didn't work that way. Um, there is a troublesome, um, a long and troublesome connection between white supremacists and law enforcement. Um, law enforcement has long served as a haven for white supremacists. Um, there's also disturbing connection between um, law enforcement and the insurrection where um, we had in Virginia, we had a couple of guys from, um, who were police officers in Rocky Mount, Virginia, who were at the cop Capitol when it was stormed. So fighting other police officers, by the way, it should be noted. So this sends the entirely wrong signal. Um, to have in your employ, and um, this particular officer is on military duty right now, we were told by the sheriff, but to have in your employ... That's even scarier, right? That he's on military well, duty well, or no? No, this is the thing. This is all of a piece and it's all intentional. Okay. 
um, the Oath Keepers um, recruits from the, military. from the military and law enforcement. So effectively, the military and law enforcement are training grounds for this anti-government militia, which um, should disturb every American citizen. Yeah. Um, this is destabilizing um, to national security um, when you have to wonder where the, the loyalties of your military officers lie um, in a time of sedition. So uh, this is no minor issue. Um, uh, you know, we've heard nothing from Chesterfield elected officials about this. Everyone's, you know, and this, and this is part of another disturbing trend I've detect detected, and it's not like I've detected it. It's, it's, it's there in plain sight for anyone to see. The attempt to normalize um, the insurrection. Um, we've seen the Republican Party fall in line with that um, in, in mass. Um, um, and we have citizens, um, too many citizens, millions of citizens who bought into the idea that this was not a big deal, that an attempt to overthrow presidential election and essentially install a dictator uh, is, is no big deal. Um, if, if that kind of thinking takes root, we don't have a democracy anymore. And if people sworn to uphold the Constitution, there's a lot of loud talk, loud, hypocritical Bogus talk about people affiliated with these groups upholding the Constitution. They, they, are, they are defecating on the Constitution is what they're doing. It's, it's ridiculous. They're hiding behind the Constitution. You know, in this instance, the Constitution is the last refuge of scoundrels. Um, you know, if you're in the military and you've sworn an oath, if you're in elected office and you've sworn an oath to the Constitution, you need to, you need to take that seriously. You need to, need to adhere to it. Um, and, and, and we're seeing too much of the opposite. I, I wrote down military because, um, you know, being from the state of Virginia, <laughs> but more so being from Tidewater area, Hampton Roads. I mean, it was so ingrained in who we were and, 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 and it was so diverse. However, hearing you say that it, it it's training grounds for, you know, White supremacy. Think, just, of what, think of what that does to the ranks. Yeah. Think about what that does to the ranks. Yeah. If you got to look at the guy next to you and wonder, A, is he a white supremacist? And B, are we on the same pay, team? Yeah, that part. Are we on Team USA yeah. or not? Yeah. I mean, what what yeah. does that do? Yeah. And if we have to go to war, I mean, you know, what, what, what does that mean for our... <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go all the way there, but like... It just, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's destabilizing, and it's a serious issue in a way that's, that should be treated much more seriously by certain parties than it is. After the monuments, a real talk about race, Michael Paul Williams, Kelly Lemon. Um, we are talking about things that um, Michael Paul is writing in his, in his columns or about to write in his columns, but they're breaking news, how it affects our nation, but sometimes we can relate it back to what's happening right now. Um, in our area, in Central Virginia. Um, we're, we're Real quick, After the Monuments is proud to thank Team Henry Enterprises for their support of our show. 
Team Henry Enterprises is a black-owned contracting firm specializing in office, retail, medical, multifamily, and higher education construction of all scopes and sizes. In the wake of the George Floyd protest, Team Henry is the very firm contracted by the city of Richmond to take down the Confederate monuments in Richmond and by many other municipalities to remove other Confederate monuments around Virginia and throughout the Southeast. Learn more about Team Henry and how they can help your community rebuild, renovate, or design at TeamHenryENT.com. We're kind of shifting gears a little bit, but um, the fact that we have to talk about a, a capital, a, a major capital that is having an issue with water. Richmond, Virginia is a capital city, by the way. That's so where we, I was going with yeah. this. Yeah. To, to know that a major capital yeah, can have an issue with water. certain assumptions about a capital city. Like, we, you know, we can't let D.C., Washington, D.C., go to hell in a handbasket because it's our nation's capital. And you, you think that would be the case with the states. Yeah. Not Jackson, so in Jackson, Not in Jackson, Mississippi. Mississippi. Talk about it a little bit. Uh, you can't drink the water in Jackson, Mississippi. Um. Jackson, Mississippi, and part of yet another disturbing pattern is yet another um, overwhelmingly African-American city, um, Flint, Michigan being another example, where the water is not safe to drink. Um, this is, uh, you can't live without water. And it, it's, you know, the fixes I'm reading about and hearing about in, in Jackson could, could take years. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, there's, you know, you need the money and then you need a plan and you, then people have to do the work. And, you know, this is a crisis. This is an emergency right now. You've seen some of the videos of people opening their spigots and, 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 and brown fluid coming out of them. This is America. Mm. This is America. This is, you know, you know, I, I knew we had infrastructure issues um, that we don't like to address or talk about, or we like to use the word infrastructure. But until, you know, recently, thank goodness, with congressional action, we, we, we've had no real infrastructure plans. But in the capital of one of our states, for this to be the state of affairs because of a failure of infrastructure is appalling. It's, it's inexcusable. It, every American citizen should be up in arms about this. Just put yourself in the place of a resident of Jackson, Mississippi, who can't get up and brush their teeth in the morning with the water that's coming out of their faucet. And it's all about infrastructure. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm bringing it back to Richmond because we have a huge water system that is part of our infrastructure. And so does Mississippi. Yeah. And so does Michigan. Yeah, we take we take those things for granted. Um, we assume that you know government, local government, state government, federal government funding is keeping these things up and running. And we've seen in places like Jackson that that's not necessarily the case. And we are seeing an example of what happens when there is demographic change when cities. Transition from white to brown and black. And when there's a resulting disinvestment, when those cities, um, when the wealth and the wealthy um, abandon those cities, 
um, and leave behind a population that has been historically marginalized. And um, we've seen it here in Richmond. It's it's most um, vividly affected our public education, um, the disinvestment. But drinking water, you you know, you can't you you can't really have um, the best life you want if your education system is suffering. But you can't live, period, literally, without drinking water. And it's 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 a crisis, and it, it's a crisis that hasn't garnered enough attention. Have you been to Mississippi before? I've not been to Mississippi. Uh, my father's from Alabama, okay. so I've spent some time in the neighboring state, but I have not been in Mississippi. Mississippi has a a troublesome, to say the least, history. Um, that's where I'm going with this because. I, too, have never been to Mississippi, and the same way some people have said to me, I probably will never come to Richmond, Virginia, mm-hmm. that's probably my thoughts but, about Mississippi, too, because I, 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 I don't know if I'd be safe but, there. But Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken, is the blackest state in the union. Ooh, okay, then I'll go there. <laughs> like, but, so, but we're, you know. Yeah, so, you know, we, you know, maybe we do need to be mm-hmm. going to Mississippi yeah. as, as African Americans, yeah. and and um, lending our assistance and, and, and calling attention to issues like this. I, I, I did an obit, uh, not an obit, but a, an appreciation on Bill Russell, mm-hmm. um, the, the former basketball star, the great for the Boston Celtics, um, greatest of all time, in my opinion, the GOAT. Yeah. But um, he, part of the reason I hold him up as the GOAT is because he stood for a lot more than basketball. Um, he was very involved in, in social justice causes. Um, um, when Muhammad Ali was um, uh, taking a stance against um, being drafted in, into um, the war in Vietnam um, as a conscientious objector, um, Bill Russell was among the athletes, along with Jim Brown and, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and then Lou Alcindor, who had his back at um, what became known, known as the Cleveland Summit. Um, I did not know until I did a column on this that that um, Bill Russell and Medgar Evers, who was the field secretary for the NAACP in Mississippi, um, were very, very close. And when um, Evers was gunned down in his driveway, was assassinated, um, Russell came down um, uh, to lend his support. Um, and... Uh, Went to the march in Washington, he said, in part because he knew that Medgar would have been there. So um, we as black Americans, I mean, Mississippi is, is near the bottom in so many national indicators. But we as African-Americans uh, cannot forget about Mississippi uh, in its time of need, especially right now. That's a good point. Um, thank you for bringing up Bill Russell as it, as it turns into sports. And again, I'm off the cuff a little bit. So, um, you know, Serena Williams celebrated her retirement um, recently in, in the, for the, by ending her career at the U.S. Open. Um, but one thing that did happen was the first time a black athlete um, was in the U.S. Open that qualified for the next round since Arthur Ashe had been playing in the U.S. Open. And, and you could correct me if I'm wrong on any of, this, on any of this, but he was playing on Arthur Ashe's court. Um, and I think that was a great moment for yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. A, a lot of, um, you know, black Americans to see that, but it turned the spotlight back on Arthur Ashe mm-hmm. and his legacy. Mm-hmm. And us Richmonders, you know, we always celebrate, um, you know, Arthur Ashe. Um, do you think that we will continue as we're developing the area around um, a street that's named after him? Um, how do we? How do you think that his legacy will continue with the U.S. Open and Serena's retirement, and now this in, this interaction or I guess engagement of of now young black athletes being a little bit more interested in tennis? Well, I'm. First of all, um, Richmond cannot do enough for Arthur Ashe uh, for a number of reasons. A, because of the shabby treatment that he received when he was trying to be his best self athletically and had to leave Richmond to do so um, uh, because of segregation, but um, also because of the kind of person he is. I I just love watching the U.S. Open and hearing them. Arthur Ashe Stadium, that just gets me every time. I mean, it's just this huge venue in, in this different kind of I, – I love the U.S. Open. It's like you, you watch the other tennis tournaments. You watch Wimbledon, and it's all teacups and quiet <laughs> and, yeah. and tradition. And, and the U.S. Open is just so raucous. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's very American in that way. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, it's just – that's a tremendous tribute to have the, the largest venue in, 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 in the, the – largest tennis venue, um, bearing his name. And it speaks a lot to what he gave um, to tennis. Um, he was longtime Davis Cup captain. He, he gave so much back to that game. But just what he gave beyond tennis. Um, you know, I just, just as I feel immense pride, I just, I still smile when I'm driving through Richmond and I see those signs for Arthur Ashe Boulevard. And that was a decades long fight. And uh, I'm happy that, um, and and, you know, you know how it is. Martin Luther King Boulevard in any city invariably goes through some of the most challenging parts of that city. And as it should be, I mean, those were his people, um, the people that he was deeply concerned about. Um, but Arthur Ashe Boulevard is like one of our showcase streets. And I, I like that. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, the, the wonderful museums, the, 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 the architecture, and, and then it transitions once you get north of Broad Street into this vibrant emerging area that, that is part of Scott's edition. And, you know, now we have this project. We're going to have a new ballpark there and some, some more development. And, um, still a question of what to do with the Arthur Ashe Center. I'm glad you went there. What do you want to see done there? Do you, you know, like, and also let's talk about the, the, the family, the Ashe family um, as well, has, has, has stated their opinions about how they feel about the actual building. Um, what's, your, what's your thoughts on well, what you have? The building at this point is, is substandard and, and, you know, regardless of it's it's its future as it's it sits now is untenable. It's it's a poor representation of Arthur Ashe at this point. So I'd shed certainly shed no tears. There, you know, the, you know, the 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 school board, the Richmond School Board, and City Council or City Administration or whomever are having a a, 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 a turf a turf battle <laughs> a over, little tussle over yeah. ownership. But yeah. it, it's that, it, it, the building needs to go. Yeah. 
Um, you know, it, it, if, and I used to run track in high school, and we could use that sort of indoor facility for that, if nothing else. But um, that's, that building has outlived its usefulness. After the monument, a real talk about race. I'm Kelly Lemon. This is Michael Paul Williams. Make sure you check out Michael Paul Columns weekly. Tell me the dates again. I think what you say, Wednesday. Um, <laughs> runs online um, Tuesdays and Fridays. Yeah, and then in print on? Um, print Wednesdays and either Saturday or Sunday. You can check them out at richmond.com, and you can also check out the E-Edition there. After the Monuments is a Virginia Video Network production and produced by Matt Petilli, Michael Paul Williams, and me, Kelly Levin. Technical direction and editing from Bill Barksdale. Executive production from Paul Farrell, Diane Salvatore, and Paige Mudd. Will Royer provides studio support. Our artwork is by Krishna Mathis. I'm Kelly Lemon, and we'll see you next week on After the Monuments.